I feel like my Burt's pretty good. I, I, I haven't done a Kirk very well for a while, so I was really trying to work on my Kirk. Kirk is hard. Kirk is, I couldn't do it. Kirk is hard. <laughs> yeah. Bert, we've talked about. Bert's easy, you know, relatively speaking. Yeah. But. You going to give us a Kirk or are you just going to tease us like that? I kept trying to do the, 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 the line that I kept working on was, and I don't feel 100% about it, but I kept, the, the line that I kept going to was like right when they're leaving the prison and they're like talking about what they want to do, you know, and, and, and Bert's just like, I want to go walk around in a park, you know? And then, uh, Kirk is like, I'm going to try chicken McNuggets. <laughs> so I, just, I, I was walking around my house all day trying to go like, chicken McNuggets. <laughs> like Kirk Douglas or whatever. So the problem with Kirk is you can only do like, he's one of those guys you can, it's like the only way to do the impression is to do it like a full almost like parody, yeah. you know? Like Bert, you can do Bert, and it sounds like Bert Lancaster, yeah. where it doesn't sound like it's too over the top. But with with Kirk, it's kind sound of an like advanced him, accent to adopt. Yeah, you you have to go like over the top to like make it re- register or whatever, you know. But with my Bert, the 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 Bert line that I was going to was like when he's in the old folks' home, and he's like, "We want steaks, chops." Roast beef, rare, bloody rare, you know? Like, so I was just like talking about food all day as them, you know? Yeah, there's probably a good ice cream shop line you could workshop. Ryan's the kid from the ice cream shop. Yeah. That's the other thing that I was thinking of. Save it for the pod. That's, Save it that's for the Ryan. Pod. Okay, here we go. The policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder. Gentlemen, get the thing straight once and for all. We clear the streets along this route, deploy our men, and create an impassable barrier. A gauntlet, if you will. He won't have a chance. I challenge you to a duel. Tell you the truth, this guy's starting to get on my nerves. You want to crown him? They crown him. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. It's hot. It's hot out there. Let's, we all walk out there. Very, very, very hot. Open fire! Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Gauntlet. My name is Ryan Saunders, and I'm here today with... Eric Marsh. And... Andrew Stasiulis. For those who maybe don't know, The Gauntlet is a weekly double feature podcast in which one of us here picks a topic for the week and then the other two choose films in reaction to that topic, programming a double feature that either honors the topic, responds to the topic, or even bucks up against it a little bit. We try to do a little bit of everything uh, to keep things exciting as the show gets older and as we get older. And that's, you know, what I was thinking about when it was my turn to pick the topic this week. The a couple of weeks ago, I I had a big birthday. I turned 30. It already feels like ages ago now. And uh entering into that new decade got me thinking about getting older. Got me very reflective about my life. Well, how do you think we how, feel? Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm but turning was, 60 uh, this year. <laughs> Got me thinking about aging. And I thought, um, you know, I, I feel as though there's, we all have our phobias, and I don't think I have a phobia of aging, but I will say, you know, not one of my favorite genres of cinema is just like movies about getting old and your body falling apart. I was thinking about how I had a really hard time back in the day watching Amore the 
Hanukkah movie. I was like, I can't. I just like could be for other reasons. Yeah, yeah, but it's just it's just hard watching people having to like wipe each other's asses and like pissing all over themselves. Those movies are real bummers. I know, March, you have a hard time sometimes with hospital movies, right? Mm, I do, I do indeed. So you know, I I mean, but I also you know, there's plenty of movies about old people I like. So I I thought let's 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 think about that. Let's think about aging. Let's take a look at uh, some real old folks uh, here on the gauntlet, and that is what we've got this week. We got some old folks, very old. These are not fake wrinkles, uh, though that would have been allowed. Uh, now that I think about it, it would have been kind of funny if, like, one of the ways you guys fucked was bringing movies where Citizen like, Kane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like she wore yellow ribbon, just like wearing yeah. old man makeup. That that would have been very funny. But no, no, we got we got real wrinkles. We've got real liver spots. We've got real gray hair. We we've got it all. Um, and I had a very very fun time. Uh, in certain respects, it was a pretty radical vibe shift, I think, between the two films. Um, and yeah, let's let's dig into it. You know, we've got a a pair of a pair of couples in certain respects of elderly yes. couples this week. So, Andy, why don't you introduce us to your to your couple? Because uh, you had the earlier of the two films. Yes, of course. I mean, I. Know that, you know, when you pitch the topic, uh, you'd sort of mention that, this idea of, oh, I'm I'm getting older, I could see it in your face, and I, I could see it again tonight, you know, this this looming specter of aging and and perhaps fears of, of breaking down and and you know getting a little rusty around the hinges and, and all kinds of things like that. So in my mind, I was thinking, you know, I wanna bring a movie that shows you Old age isn't maybe necessarily something to be that afraid of. That, you know, maybe maybe the old guys uh, can still uh, rock and roll and kick a little ass, you know? Maybe age is, after all, just a state of mind. So the film that I selected for us this week is from 1986 directed by Jeff Canoe, and it's a movie called Tough Guys, starring two of the last living legends, certainly at the time this was made, of the golden age of Hollywood. Uh, uh, a pair, a couple, as you put it, who were, who were seen as something of a dynamic duo. They had made seven films together in their career. Oh, wow. Yes. I knew it was a lot. I didn't know it was seven. Yes. The couple I speak of, Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. In Tough Guys, uh, they play Harry Doyle and Archie Long, respectively. And these are two men who are considered, you know, some of the greatest, I guess they were considered the greatest bank robbers of their age, their era. This was the 40s and the 1950s. But our movie opens up with them in prison, where they have been for the last 30 years of their life. They are about to be paroled after... Uh, being incarcerated for 
robbing a train, the Gold Coast Flyer. They had robbed, I think, like nearly half a million dollars in 1956, and they were busted. They were busted by the Los Angeles Police Department and a young, at the time, police officer by the name of Deke Yablonski, played by Charles Durning. They got locked up and put away for 30 years. Uh, and now they're being sort of released. These guys who were more or less frozen in time in 1956 are being thrust out into the Los Angeles streets in the middle of Reagan's America, the 1980s. Uh, the film then just sort of explores like what happens to them as they try to adjust to the modern age society, but of course, uh, find themselves really struggling at at every turn, you know, to to sort of make sense of this this crazy new age in which they live. There's a lot of jokes that are, of course, themselves feeling stuck in time from the 1980s. We'll, well I'm sure get into some of that stuff that hasn't hasn't aged well, shall we? Shall we say? Um, yeah, and and so you know they they uh, they're paroled and they're they're struggling to adjust. Burt Lancaster's character Harry Doyle is told by his parole officer, his probation officer, played by Dana Carvey, in his first like big screen role that he's too old to work. So they have arranged for him to simply go right off into a retirement home. Kirk Douglas's character, Archie Long, is a little bit younger, so he's got to go out there and work a series of very demeaning, uh, low-paying, uh, shitty jobs. And, and they really struggle to, to find, you know, any sense of purpose and value as old men in these very fast, very confusing times. Of course, also to make matters somewhat worse for them, uh, pretty much the minute they step foot outside the prison, they are being shot at by a very old, old hitman played by Eli Wallach, Leon B. Little, who, who is trying to gun them down. He's basically like Mr. Magoo with a double-barrel shotgun. <laughs> he keeps popping up and... and uh, shooting buckshot at them, but of course, you know, he can't really hit the broad side of a barn anymore because he's also old as hell. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird movie. It's a strange movie. You know, part of the reason why I like to, I, I sort of like, you know, wanted to, to bring it to the pod is what I mentioned earlier, but also because, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of these kind of like strange Hollywood sort of, you know, I mean, it's, it's weird calling something like this like a B movie. It's not really a B movie. It's just a sort of like high concept uh, fiasco, you know? I, I guess I'd read that the, the impetus for even putting this project together was for, you know, uh, a long time, Bert and Kirk hadn't been seen as this, you know, this great working partnership since their glory days. And I guess they had presented an award at the Oscars in like 1985. And of course, you know, then the, the wheels in Hollywood are like, hey, these guys, they still got it. Let's put something together for them. So this is clearly a project that was just sort of like hobbled together to reunite this, this, this classic pair and show that, yeah, the old guys still got it. Uh, I'm sure in our discussion that's going to be the the, the big question uh, 
do they still have it? <laughs> Should they have attempted to show us that they still had it in this kind of movie? But yeah, it's a it's a it's a strange, curious little film, and it is also the last time these two would step foot onto the screen together. So in a certain respect, I also like looking at those kinds of swan songs, especially from great Hollywood performers from yesteryear. So that is Tough Guys. Nice. Thank you. Marsh, tell us about the film you picked. Yes. Well, I'm always happy to uh, bring a new country to the pod. Uh, (laughs) And that was very much on my mind this week. You know, speaking of uh, sort of aging, uh, one of my oldest friends who I've known uh, since like first grade baseball, uh, friend of the pod, Owen, uh, dear friend of mine, uh, lives in Iceland. Uh, He went there about 10 years ago and and fell in love and moved there and got married, has kids there. You know, he's got a whole life there in Iceland. And uh, in the summer of 2022, I got to go visit, uh, had a big celebration for their 10-year wedding anniversary. And uh, it was a blast. And I got to experience Iceland. And one of the things I, I walked away from, you know, I remember thinking like, I got to watch some Icelandic movies, you know, after that experience. Uh, And I did, but I I only watched one. And I watched Rocky Reykjavik, which is the classic music documentary from the 80s that features a bunch of different bands, but a very young Bjork as well. And it's like, uh, you know, a very famous Icelandic film as far as that goes. But I was researching films about old people, and I saw that there was an Icelandic film, and I saw it compared uh, alternatively to both Tokyo Story and Make Way for Tomorrow in certain respects, which are, of course, two of the classic old people movies the most like two of the most classic old people movies if not the definitive ones and i thought wow uh sounds like a a good sad old time in iceland you know to check out something uh in that register and so that's exactly what i did uh the film i chose is called children of nature from 1991 it was directed by friedrich thor friedrichsen who is a very sort of important figure in the history of icelandic cinema and this film in particular is a bit of a sort of an inflection point in the history of icelandic cinema and i'll talk more about that in a second but uh The film itself concerns an old man, Thorgir, who is, I believe, I wrote it down, he is 78 years old, and he is closing his farm where he lives alone. He's widowed, and we see in the opening of the film all these sheep are being herded onto a truck. It's very sad as he's sort of closing up shop at this place that he clearly worked and lived. And of course, this is out in the countryside. And soon he is boarding a bus to the big city, Reykjavik. And there he goes to uh, stay with his daughter and her 
husband and their daughter. Uh, and soon, you know, it's kind of awkward. And soon, much like the films I previously mentioned, the children are sort of like, you know, Get, get, get out of here, here. <laughs> you know, uh, in, that, in that really sad way. And so he ends up much like Burt Lancaster in Tough Guys going to a retirement home where, like Burt Lancaster in Tough Guys, Thorgear meets an old flame, Stella, uh, someone who was from his uh, little town in the country from the olden days. And together they... Uh, are very frustrated with the sort of constant humiliations of being old, being old in a big city, being in a retirement home, and and that sort of thing. We'll get into the specifics, but together uh, they yearn to return to their village, to the place where they both grew up, and they uh, want to return there. You know, they're they're old. They want to go back, and uh, that starts their crazy journey. They steal a jeep, uh, and they're off, and soon they're wanted by the entire Icelandic PD, which is like 12 guys, but uh, yeah, it is It is just that. It is a very uh, sort of tender, kind of somber and sad, but also in its own way, very funny kind of... Yeah, just like... Bittersweet. Yeah, very, very bittersweet. And I think that tone is no surprise. I was doing some research on the film, and not only was this the first and only Icelandic film to be nominated for an Oscar uh, for foreign film, it was a huge... Uh, film in the sort of shift to transnational co-productions that uh, really kick-started a lot more Icelandic production. Uh, this, I believe, is the only Icelandic film released in 1991. Uh, they didn't, they were struggling, you know, they, they had established a film fund in the late 70s and that led to local releases in the 80s, but those were sort of targeted at local audiences, not global audiences, right? By the late 80s, there's new strategies in the world of global cinema, and also there's like European companies who are, you know, specializing in co-productions, especially of minority languages and trying to preserve certain national cinemas. The kind of government support, of course, we'll never see in, in this country, right? <laughs> yeah. And so through this sort of like new, you know, scheme of co-productions, uh, this film very much feels like it's aimed at a global audience instead of just specifically uh, an Icelandic audience. And I think that comes through because as specific as it is, it's not like it holds back on being an Icelandic film. It's very much about that, the country, the city, the different customs, but really it's just like about old people and dying and, and, and that, you know, and getting older and that's universal themes, right? And so uh, this film did really well. It was you know, after it was released, probably the best known Icelandic film of all time. And you can also tell it's aiming for that sort of global audience because Bruno Gantz shows up at the end of the film playing basically the same character he's playing in Wings of Desire. Yeah. This, so, is in the, this is in the Vendor's Extended Cinematic yes, Universe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is itself. And, uh, you know, Friedrichsen starred in some Lars von Trier stuff, so I wonder if that's also then mm. all part of the same universe. Anyway, uh, we'll get into it, but yeah, that is Children of Nature. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny. I 
think it would have been great had they done that with Bruno Gans and like a dozen other movies <laughs> yes. that were all like totally unrelated, but end in like a kind of rather sad death and then have him just visit as an angel to bless the film and then be on his merry way. <laughs> it's an, it would have been easy for them to do, I think. And I think, uh, people should have considered that after this movie in particular, but yeah, th- yeah thank you both. Thank you both. Um, you know, watching these films, I was surprised how much overlap there was. So there is. I knew, of course, like there would naturally be some. And uh, but I, you know, I saw it's like, OK, these are pretty radically different vibes. You know, we've got like more of a pastoral, lovely, uh, you know, checking in the landscape of Iceland. I had a, a feeling this film would be pretty low key, you know, uh, and it was. And I knew Tough Guys was I could tell there's a film from the 80s produced with a-list actors you know uh getting on in years but i i figured it would have like a spe- i knew dana carvey was in it i saw that <laughs> and i was like okay i can have an idea of how this thing might flow but i think at the heart of both of these movies is one of the central paradoxes of aging which is in certain respects and in certain cultures we we work our, our whole life with this vision of sort of freedom at the end that uh, after we put in our time after we do the work we have retirement to look forward to where then we can live our lives and we're free we're free in retirement unencumbered but it there's the fact that old age in certain respects can be a prison and this is of course very ironically hammered home in tough guys where we have people who are leaving prison finally free only to find out that this new life for themselves is in itself a prison it's extremely limiting their bodies are failing them they're not able to do the things they were expecting they'd be able to do there's there's always that sense oftentimes in films about the elderly that you know we end up at a retirement home and we're incarcerated we're trapped that there's rules that we have to adhere to. We can't actually make decisions for ourselves. And that's like the great irony of aging. It's like, oh, I put in all this time. I did all this work. I lived my life. What? I can't be respected. I can't take care of myself. I can't make decisions for myself. So I thought it was interesting that like, you know, both of these films are are, are actually like engaging with that aspect of aging, I think, head on. But yeah, I mean, when I, when I was in high school, I made a, a, a short film called early retirement <laughs> that i always thought was a good title and i think it would make like a, a good title for a real movie and it was uh it was about like a an old man who like takes the wrong medication or skips his medication and escapes from the retirement home and like wreaks havoc around town we got like everyone in cl- you know class to participate in it it was this huge epic a 30 minute epic um but it's been it's been an idea i've been preoccupied with for a long time i guess um back when we were putting bald caps on and now even when i'm turning 30 so it, it was yeah i guess i would say we could start there in that sense of the idea of like old age as a prison being something that's uh the characters in both of these films are like at war against. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in the case of Children of Nature, there's, there's again, I don't know how much of this is sort of like overblown in the case of Stella, but she's makes it explicitly clear, like they won't let me leave, you know? And it's like, whoa, that's like, that's very serious, right? And a similar thing is going on in, in Tough Guys. And I loved that 
Lancaster starts a, like a prison revolt, essentially. <laughs> and I feel like that's a sort of like knowing nod to brute force, you know, one of the great prison movies with Bert 40 years earlier. Uh, but he gets like all the elderly people to start chanting like me and the boys don't like this crud. We want real food, real food, real food, real food, real food, real food. There's a few of those, um, God, I mean, it sounds like dorky to put it this way, almost like Easter eggs with their, their previous roles, their previous careers, you know, the, the, the movies they'd been in. There's, there's also that strange moment when, uh, you know, he, he's just out of prison and he goes to a park and then he just stops to look at a bird in a tree, the bird man of Alcatraz. Hello, officer. Mind telling me what you're doing, bud? Waiting for a bird to sing. I guess you didn't see that sign over there that says no loitering. The loitering is to linger without a purpose. I got a purpose. Right? I mean, they're they're clearly like, you know, nodding to uh, the 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 roles and the 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 presence that these guys have have had. Yeah, but but yeah, to the bigger point that you brought up. I mean. Yeah, both of these movies, I mean, they 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 essentially are telling the same story. They're they're about, you know, people who have, you know, come to terms with, you know, the realization that their their best years are behind them. And really these are both two films about uh characters who simply want to to take what time they have left to go out on their terms. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, in uh you know, in Children of Nature, it is this very, yeah, beautiful, very poetic, at times almost like magical realism uh, of 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 getting us to 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 think about age yeah. spiritually in a, in a very uh, a touching and thoughtful way. Whereas, of course, you know, Tough Guys is a Hollywood film starring two legendary tough guys. So this is going to be the same subject matter is going to be dealt with uh, through machismo, testosterone, action, comedy, and of course, you know, a little little uh, dash of sex as well. You know, so yeah, they're they're both exploring, I think, the same central idea, this idea of searching for dignity in the the indignity that we all face of growing old and 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 being sort of pushed aside by uh, the younger people in our society but yeah from there they they are going to they're going to tackle the problem in very different ways there was a line uh, i don't even remember from which film but someone says there's geriatrics running around stealing cars and that is applicable to to both films to both. <laughs> and i thought that was thought that was very interesting yeah oh that's a good point yeah they both still have they both still have dreams right especially in the face of of these humiliations and these new rules and these new regulations uh whether it's yeah like going going west or, or whatever, going east or whatever they're doing in Children of Nature, or, <laughs> you know, to do another daring robbery to prove they still got it, right? And that's really what motivates 
all of the characters in in both of these films is yeah like you said andy it's just going out on their own terms in a blaze of glory or or otherwise you know mm-hmm. i'm trying to think a little bit too when i was watching tough guys almost about the idea of like prison a little bit more metaphorically so like ryan was i think describing you know the the the, the prison of 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 age but uh I was then thinking about tough guys and being like, okay, so what's the implication there? Is the implication that that basically, you know, for for Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster, you know, is seeing this very much as a movie just about Kirk and Burt as much as is, is you know Harry and Archie? Is the idea then that like that everything they've done since 1956 has felt like being in prison, you know, that, that they're finally being let out now in 1986 to, to, to do it their way again. You know, is it saying like everything they did in the sixties and the seventies was also like they were trapped, you know, but now they're out and they're, they're going to give it one last go on, on their terms. In a sense, because, you know, most of their pairings were film noir, right? Or at least the, the sort of classic ones and that ends in the fifties. So after that, these guys are out to sea. Yeah. Yeah. It's all garbage. Locked up in Hollywood prison. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting because of course, both of these films are about death then. Because any film that is about people of this like age or is about death. And specifically with Tough Guys and, and thinking about those two figures as as classic performers. I don't know if either of you saw the piece that Dave Kerr wrote about Tough Guys. Did you see it, Marsh? I didn't, know Because he talks about it. It's a contemporary review where he talks about how Tough Guys represents it's almost a film about a certain type of death or it signifies a certain type of death in, in cinema. And that is like, like expressivity and how he says that, like he starts this essay talking about how like the Japanese, it seems are worried that their language is losing expressivity. And then he says like film is losing it too. And he uses this film as an example of like, look at what's dying. Like, look at how cinema is dying. He uses this film to show you that cinema is dying, but he calls out the fact that he's like, you can see it's dying because only Bert and Kirk are doing real things in this movie. Yeah. He's like, look at these men who know how to act while everyone else is trapped in a system that doesn't allow for actual performance where everything's very stiff. People are reciting lines. It's all punchline based. And he goes into great detail. He like analyzes two scenes of how Bert uses his hat and how Kirk uses his hat in like two Mm -hmm. different scenes and like what they symbolize specifically how Bert, you know, how there's like this quiet dignity in the way that he creases the top of the hat as he's like prepping it. While later we have Kirk who's like being demeaned in the fast food restaurant that he's hired in holding his hat, like his new cap, like it's this cradle, you know, just like something he's like holding on really tight to in a moment of, of pain. And he's like, these These guys are expressive. They're expressive, classically trained performers that are communicating so much that, like, presumably probably wasn't even written into the script. It's a part of their acting style and a form of film storytelling that did rely on actors being very expressive with their bodies. And he uses tough guys then to say, like, this is dying in Mm -hmm. American cinema. Because, like, look at these guys doing it and the rest of the film is, like, such rubbish. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean... When they leave prison 
And Dana Carvey shows up as this very eager probation officer who we, we learn is also a big fan of, of their, you know, their, their criminal career. He's sort of like yeah. a crime geek. He says to them, You guys are not ordinary parolees. Yeah? You're the best there ever was. I know everything about you guys. My master's thesis was about the great outlaws of the 20th century. Um, Dillinger, Capone, Pretty Boy Floyd. When I heard you guys were coming up for parole, I actually asked for your cases. You did. You're the last of your kind. And he in the script is referring to, you know, the old outlaws of the 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 20th century. But really that line is is speaking to exactly what Dave Kerr is saying. Like mm-hmm. th- there's a lot of like double meaning to the way that they're they're talked about, they're addressed uh, in this film. Again, like this was not some script that was like languishing around and it was like waiting for two actors to reach a certain age. Like this thing was put together for them. Like this was a vehicle for them. So I think that there is so much of that kind of like A, built into the script in in this kind of, like paying respect to them, paying homage to them, mm-hmm. but also, uh, again, as as Dave and you have put it, uh, <laughs> I think that they are very aware of it. Like they are very, very, very much like aware of what this film like means. And yeah, that speaks to their their talents and their ability. And they are two of the most expressive actors of that era, uh, larger than life presences. And, and yeah, you know, that this is their like swan song. I mean, they both made films after this. I Mm -hmm. mean, man, Kirk was making films well after even the stroke in the mid two thousands. I mean, they, they held on as long as they could, but Eli Wallach was in money. Never sleeps in 2014. Yeah. I mean, Eli Wallach, he's just as old as them. If not like, older he's him and kirk were like the same age oh yeah yeah i mean they 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 are i think like saying in in certain respects like goodbye but goodbye on their terms in hollywood you know and again they would continue to make films and appearances here and there but we've talked about clint having one of the longest farewell tours of any actor as well it's something they like to do Oh, of course. I mean, the film even opens with, they don't make them like they used to. And uh, I I know you love that montage, Andy, where the camera's sort of (laughs) swirling around in close-up. We've got fedoras, fancy watches, cigars, an old radio, a stack of hundreds in a money clip, a gold watch, camels, a rabbit's foot, bullets, a holster and pistol, knuckles, tickets to see Sinatra, a fat steak, a bubbly beer, a train's timetable, some nitro, a little soup in a bottle for safe cracking, a calendar, handcuffs, old mug shots. I could go on. Oh, yeah. You know? No, it's beautiful. It's it's all the stuff that, you know. Cool guys have. Cool guys used to carry around with them, yeah. To a nice Kenny Rogers, you know, ballad. And then we're like very soon after confronted with the image of Kirk Douglas lifting weights, a man whose body... Yeah, especially in his old age, like it just—it's just a triangle. He's oh so God. ripped, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's that's again, like for me, there's a certain like quality to this film because I had seen this film before, and I I was like, man, I I had thought about this in a previous week where I was sort of like, you guys just kind of have to see this thing. Like, I don't I don't think this is a 
great film, but I think it's a it's oh, a no. it's a film that you know you should see if you are a fan of like Hollywood and certainly a fan of anything these guys had ever done. Um, but like, yeah, Kirk. There's a thing about him. I I remember reading once like. Um, as he got older, like he was himself like very insecure about aging and he saw himself as like the sex symbol and tried desperately to cling to this idea <laughs> that, that again, I think the movie very it's self-consciously screen, yeah, picks up on, you know, is like, he is so desperate to be like, no, I'm still, I do. I mean, like literally, like I still got it. I'm still in peak shape. I can do all the things I used to be able to do. And, and Bert, like, I mean, he gave up on that shit like long yeah, ago. Bert's in worse shape than Kirk. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, dude, Douglas slipped 30 more years. Yeah, and I mean, Kirk put a lot of, I mean, well, I was going to say, like, they they both did, but, like, Bert especially put a lot of mileage on his body doing all of his own stunts for, like, so many years. Yeah, the circus. I mean, God, all that trapeze work, it's not easy on the joints. I mean, I remember uh, hearing about uh, Frankenheimer's The Train, and he was well into his 40s, Burt Lancaster, when he did the train. And he's hopping on and off the trains in that. And they were talking about how they were, like, nervous. And has got no cartilage in his knees. Yeah, he's right. like a basketball player. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he's, you know, leaping on and off moving trains and stuff like that, which will play a pivotal role in this film as well. But, yeah, you know, it is so funny to just, like, see that aspect of Kirk Douglas here. And, and that does yeah. become a very big part of his character's journey as well Mm -hmm. i mean his physique is used really really well just because he is such a startling looking person especially with his shirt off that his i mean it's almost like a perfect his shoulders it's like a perfectly straight line like you could put a level on it and (laughs) it would be like this is you know this is sharp this is is straight edge shoulder blades And yeah. then, like, how it condenses so much in his really tiny waist. So, like, when he does leave prison and is wearing the suit, I mean, he does feel like a cartoon image of a 30s oh, yeah. gangster. So it, like, fits, I think, really well just in his old age. I mean, again, he always kind of had that shape, even when he was, like, thicker and buff. I mean, he's really yeah. buff in this, but, like, when he he's had, like, so flesh. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I did like how they were highlighting almost what, like, a freak of nature his his body looks like yeah dude he's looking like a a, a reject from like a, a jack lalane vhs tape or something <laughs> like that you know yeah i mean and and right how much he's in on the joke or the film or the film's in on the joke i mean certainly to to a certain extent because there were some scenes that kind of like reminded me almost of like gentlemen prefer blondes where like he goes into like a modern aerobics facility and it's like all women and then it's like kirk being like really insecure and like working out and getting all worked up you know i mean like they're they're definitely like playing with it and i appreciated that because he is desperately trying to be like buff and cool and it's kind of (laughs) pathetic like uh and i think that i think that helps for the film you know it makes it a more interesting film but yeah it's fascinating to me as you mentioned andy that this film is like you know the high concept pitch is uh classic hollywood in the 1980s right and you know that also means it's a a mixed bag as you also alluded to because a lot of the sort of like (laughs) 
a lot of the humor, right, rests on this, you know, well, mostly notions of masculinity, right? And it's like tied directly into Hollywood's sort of like masculinity panic of the 80s and 90s, where every joke is like, oh, the world's so gay and feminine now, and these guys can't handle it, or they don't know what to do, you know? And and they're often the butt of the joke, and it doesn't go, like, too far. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's cringy in how many of the jokes are, like, Oh yeah, well while you were away, America got like really gay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and that's like, like that little jaunt to Mickey's bar. Yeah. That's like I think that's like a funny gag though, you know, when he yeah. goes into his old bar, Mickey's, you know. Hey, yeah, I'm looking for Mickey, you know, and he doesn't realize that they're all twinks, you know? Like <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. a good gag. But yeah, they hit that they hit that button like way too many times, yeah. you know. This is also like kind of a even for the 80s like a an almost like freakishly nightmarish depiction of the 80s like it's almost like a sci-fi movie at times with its like attempt at at showcasing like boy things have gotten nuts out here you know whether it's the car that dana carvey's driving that they get into that has like the crazy like you know, like automated it's got like voice. Siri. Yeah. yeah, it's got like Siri, like n- narrating every single aspect of their drive or the clothing store that Kirk Douglas goes to where the the only employee will appear via TV screen. You know, right. it's like an AI. I'm Derek. Can I help you? Well, I need something to wear. I need more information. Like what? Color. Style, function. I got a date. Male, female. <laughs> I got a date with a gorgeous broad. Thank you. Evening, morning, formal, casual. Please be as specific as possible. Chainsaw, Spring Street, 10 p.m. She said, look hot. How about something in blue? Blue is cold, sir. Red is hot. Okay. Something in red. We don't carry red, sir. Our colors are peach, lime, cherry, mocha, almond, and avocado. Hey, I don't want to eat the suit. I just want to wear it. <laughs> One moment, sir. Like, even for the 80s, you know, this this almost had, like, a RoboCop feel to it. Uh, yeah. Attempted trying to satirize how crazy things have gotten. And then a street gang straight out of Tenement uh, <laughs> who, yep. who confront them. Uh, just, uh, yeah, just a crazy gang of uh, POC hooligans, you know, and get to get kicked in the nuts or whatever uh, by these old guys. I mean, I guess I do appreciate that's like Douglas throughout the film is constantly kicking guys in the nuts. And that's, you know, I mean, like, look, sometimes that's all you need in a movie. Just sure. Like, an old guy kicking people in the nuts a bunch yeah, of times. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, yeah. It is funny how radically different the these films like begin, like the feeling of them, because starting Tough Guys, the first 15, 20 minutes of Tough Guys, I was like, oh, boy, like here we go. Because mm-hmm. it does, it drops a lot of those jokes we were talking about pretty early on because it's like very soon after prison. It has very 
plane and grading just filmic style i guess just to even kind of refer back to what kerr was talking about that you've got these two great actors that are still giving it their all because they're just naturally great performers but we're watching them in something so like sluggish and ugly in terms of it being just like a copy paste type production yeah with some so hack I, director behind exactly it, you know? yeah that's the thing uh, the Curry revenge even of acu- the nerds director yeah. yeah kerr accuses that guy of like not being even able to read and he means he means like reading the language of yeah. film um but he's like this guy doesn't even know what Kirk and Bert are doing. <laughs> no, I would say like the virtue is that he sometimes just lets it roll. Sure. And then you just get to see the actors unbroken in yeah. real time. And that's right. just a, a deficiency on one end. But yeah, I was noticing a lot of like really formless lateral tracking shots. The film was constantly sort of tracking left to right for really like no reason, <laughs> no reason right. a lot of the time. And it's just like high key lit to hell. Like yeah. Yeah. it's so just like bright, you know? And that's what's so wildly different than with children of nature because children of nature begins it's like my ultimate golden star for like any movie where there's no dialogue for the first like 10 15 minutes that is to me that's always a sure sign like oh i'm gonna like this because <laughs> they're gonna get to the talking you know they are but i love to me that's like as as immersive as a film going experience can be it's like low me in without chatting like, don't, don't be talking in my face. Let me just sort of feel this out. And there's so many, like, elusive details as we slowly move in. It's just like a series of images at the beginning. I mean, we start with singing. Like, there's still vocalization. But it, it's, it's a while before... Because I think the first people he speaks to are either at, like, the bus station or probably just his family when he ends up at the home. I actually think, you know, now that I think about it, I think the first word is the taxi driver turning around and saying like we're here when yeah. he when he gets out of the car at the to the Reykjavik like high-rise apartment building so that whole journey at the beginning is is wordless and we're just left with those images that's the, just a lovely way to ease yourself into a film and we're given like a lot of sound you know yes. he's playing yes. the organ at some point and there's also the motif of the clock that he brings with him from the country into the city and hangs up on his grand granddaughter's wall and upsets her, you know, by taking down her teen idol poster. But <laughs> it's again the ticking, right? His clock, his life is is ticking. Uh, but yeah, the film is largely like wordless. I mean, there there is dialogue, but it is again, I think part of that sort of global audience strategy is make it universal. Don't you know? Don't have them blabbering tons of Icelandic and have everyone frantically reading the subtitles you want people to watch this movie in other countries you know like just let it be and I think that's such a a good quality that the film has Ryan it's also got in the first like five minutes this guy uh, takes his dog out into the field and blows its brains out uh, which is interesting which is interesting to me because I did a little extra homework and watched Friedrichsen's previous film White Whales from 1987 his debut great film by the way it's about two whale hunters who are done for the season and have no job prospects and they just roll into Reykjavik and just get super fucked up, have a crazy night, and then get in a shootout with the police. 
great yeah. fucking movie. But within the first like 10 minutes of that movie, these guys are taking a bus in from the country into the city and or taking a truck in and they come across a, a horse that's got a broken leg on the side of the road. And one of the main characters takes a gun from the truck and shoots, puts the horse out of its misery. And I was like, God damn, it's in both of the films I've seen by this guy. There's like an animal getting shot in the head in the first 10 minutes. So I don't purport to like know what it means other than, you know, nature, uh, et cetera, et cetera, being Icelandic animals. I don't know. Yeah, it yeah. was a bit of a bummer because the, the dog <laughs> didn't seem to be too old or or sick. Or no, <laughs> no. The dog seemed fine. Seemed like a perfectly healthy dog. I wouldn't say perfectly healthy, but yeah, you know, I just don't think it was allowed on the bus. And he was just like, you know. Yeah. I mean, that guy, it's... It, it, well, I'm for a, a farmer, dude, that's nothing, you know. Oh, see, that's totally. the thing. The, the whole opening that you described being, like, wordless, uh, and for us, and again, if the assumption is that this is targeted for a, a global audience... Uh, you know, there's all these things that are kind of happening that that we don't have a whole lot of context for. I mean, that whole kind of, you know, uh, uh, almost like hymn that's being sung. It's this, I mean, it seems like there's ritual behind it, ceremony of like passing his herd along, like giving his herd away. Like there's all these kinds of things that are happening that we don't really understand. No one's explaining them. I mean, you know, yeah, in Tough Guys, you that that whole opening montage montage you described also provides the audience with all the context for like who these guys are, where they are. Oh, they're in prison. I mean, the montage ends with prison bars, right? We see like, oh, they robbed something and then they went to prison. Here's their mug shots. We get all of that. And it's very like spelled out to us, but but this we don't really necessarily understand like who this man is and what he's he's preparing. When we finally see the dog get shot, it becomes very clear that this guy is shuddering up this entire existence he's had here. He's he's like closing all of his accounts and he's leaving nothing behind you know, except for the essentials and, and this dog, which probably served a, a purpose on this farm of protecting the sheep. I mean, he, he has no more use for it, unfortunately for the dog. And that's it. I mean, he's, he's like leaving no trace. He's, he's, he's letting go of all this stuff. And yeah, it's, a, it's certainly like a shocking like note but one that that i think speaks to the finality of this man's journey mm -hmm. like there's no coming back from like this this opening this is a this is a he's buying we don't know it but but we can assume a one-way ticket from this point on to to his ultimate end his ultimate journey's end yeah, but they are again when you put them like right next to each other. I mean, they are they're it's it's almost an obscene contrast <laughs> between the two. I mean, look, the the, the retirement homes are like almost identical though. They're both oh, yeah. sort of like tyrannical. You get these like group scenes where they're forced to sort of like interact with people and go to the dance or whatever. The you lighting know? is very similar too. It has this kind of umber glow to it that I was like kind of surprised by. They could have been the same set if you just if, yeah. yeah i didn't know one was in iceland 
It's <laughs> drab and beige. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and when Thorgear gets like his his dorm room assignment, there's like a little tough guys uh, sort of duo that gets formed with like Halderson or whatever his name is, his like goofy ass roommate. That guy was cracking me up with his big photo of Arsenal on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is though. I mean, they they again, like I said, the the there's there's so many like sort of similar beats uh story-wise between these two films, but but it's like the tone is so radically different uh at times but but that is like the one moment i feel like where they're like totally synced up you know the the experience of going into one of these places and again i think it's a trope that Mm -hmm. you see in like lots of of films about aging i mean i can't think in my mind of any film i've seen that's been like boy aren't retirement homes great right no everybody (laughs) seems to feel the same way about them they're horrible they're terrible and yet in spite of that and in spite of the fact that audiences watching these movies are always meant to identify with the the old people who are like please don't put me in this fucking like death prison they are still so prevalent in our society it's like a crazy thing to think about that it's like it's written into so much of like our media culture that these are awful places and yet like we haven't abolished them we haven't like outlawed them right they they still seem to unfortunately like serve a a a function that that everyone kind of agrees upon even if deep down inside we all know that they're they're horrible you know suppose it could be good, you know? Sure, sure, sure. I suppose, you know, you don't want to make a blanket statement that they're all <laughs> terrible, right? You get the right crew, you know? Sure, yeah, you get the I right think, crew. Yeah, there's there's ways. You know, I think, like, you got to design it more probably like an apartment building, you know? So it feels like it's just you just happen to live with old people. Not that it's, like, the regimented experience that you see in both of these with, like, strict rules. There should be no rules, should be the ultimate no parents no rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean for what it's worth there there seems to be a a, a brief moment where Burt Lancaster's character Harry like kind of feels like he might actually have a good thing when he does like rekindle the the flame with Belle, the old showgirl who's now teaching like yoga classes or aerobics classes or something like that. And they have their nice like old timey date that they go on and, and you know, they, they go to that, that, uh, that old like dance parlor or something like that. But, yep. but yeah, it's the rules that ultimately uh, come in to, to, to show him like, yeah, this place actually sucks. When he's, uh, I guess, trying to have sex with Belle and the the woman who runs the place is like, you can't be doing that. You can't have sex in here, you know? The, the, the difference being that in Children of Nature, his roommate... The first thing he tells him is like, dude, you are going to get laid like crazy. Yeah, so horny. <laughs> yeah, he's like, all the women in here are DTF. You're set, dude. Like, yeah, he comes on pretty hard. Maybe that's the difference between European and American <laughs> retirement Yeah, Yeah, you're allowed to fuck in European <laughs> retirement homes. That's the thing, too, though, then with the roommate, because... That's the other curse. So it's like the rules and then also the fact that you just develop a close bond with anybody and then they just start dropping like flies pretty soon after. Because that's, I mean, that's like 
one of the triggering events where he's just like, I got to get out of here. Like, this is already a, a house of death, as you were saying, Andy. Because the, the thing is, when he's making that journey at the beginning of the film, it's somber, but it's so beautiful in the way it's depicted. I mean, it's funny how Tough Guys has like wall-to-wall music for a lot of it, and especially at the beginning. And then you've got Children of Nature that, as you said, Marsh, there are so many sounds that are prevalent, but it feels as though the first... 15 minutes of children of nature are very musical i mean there's a song but that it it all feels as though the sound design is contributing to this rhythm we've got the clock we've got all these different noises that like feel very musical it's not necessarily dreamlike but at least it has like this very careful quiet rhythm and then like some of that goes away once he ends up in the retirement home it feels a bit more sterile and we've got new friends that are being made and then they just they drop off and it's like death correct me if i'm wrong too but it's also like vignetted in the retirement home to kind of like cramp the space a little more yeah i think it's dim for sure i mean it's also like if i'm remembering it was set around christmas too so it's like a dark iceland you mm-hmm. know when when he's in the retirement home not a lot of not a lot of sunshiny days for for his brief spell there but I think, again, that also speaks to uh, probably like major, major cultural differences in, in how we're approaching our, our subject matter and, you know, the, 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 the point of these films. You know, the Icelandic film is sort of like looking at the inevitability of, of aging and is, I think, encouraging us to, to reflect upon the sort of like, yeah, bittersweet beauty we can find in accepting the 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 natural progression of life and and to to not see aging necessarily as like a defeat but but as ultimately like a victory you know that we've lived a long life that we've got great memories that we've had wonderful experiences but again you know you think about like the fucking like reagan era america the me generation and hollywood you know this place that is so obsessed with like youth and being young and being beautiful and like tough guys for all of the the, the again the similar sort of like touch points like it, it doesn't really deal with death in any sort of way it doesn't deal with that it's it's trying to do something else and i i i suspect as well like having a target audience that was probably much older you know in hollywood they're like well, we don't want to get all these olds into the theater and right. bum them out, <laughs> yeah, you know? remind like, them that they're gonna die yeah, yeah you know it's gotta be like nah yeah you guys are still great you know like you're awesome i mean that's that's such a hollywood thing right it's like you can't uh you can't exactly like hit the nail on the head the way that they are in in children of nature yeah that music the the lighting everything in tough guys is meant to be vibrant it's meant to be vivacious it's meant to to be filled with this sense of 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 eternal life you know yeah contrast that to thorgir at the at the ball at the dance when he's like drinking his beef eater with stella and he says uh, you know one is just garbage 
Yeah. We're all going back to the earth. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. And I mean, he's so like depressed at that moment. I mean, I wrote down another line. I'm going to paraphrase it, but he says something like, the worst thing that could happen is if we come back as a ghost and continue to haunt the living. Right. It's like, he's basically just like, I'm ready to go. And I hope that that's it. Lights out forever. And again, in tough guys, it's like, that's the last thing on their minds. They're thinking like, okay, life begins at 70. Right. I mean, that's the the message of of tough guys. Yeah, because that's also like Thorgir's sort of personal journey from being sort of pessimistic about it to his encounter with Stella, because Stella uh, has an iron will. Right. And she she's very set on the fact that she wants to die in the countryside. And she says, I feel like the key line in the film is she says, final wishes are no laughing matter. And that to him is like the moment where it's like, you're right. You know, we got to go. We got to go back. Right. And, And very symbolically, what do they do before they steal the Jeep? They walk through a graveyard, which I'm pretty sure... I all I didn't walk through, but I walked next to <laughs> when I was in Reykjavik, and we were nice. like so hammered because the sun never set, and it was like who knows, and uh, pretty sure I was right there. Yeah. You uh, guys were like the drunk couple making out on the yes. on the yeah, jeep, a, a disgusting display of lust. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you got to go through that cemetery. I got to go to the one where Montero's character uh, was was dying and vibe them to, to yes. that to the tree i got to hang out there i was gonna say there's almost like a nod to montero with uh, kirk douglas running the ice cream shop in this movie sure. like god's comedy sure. <laughs> yeah that very that's very true More that's very true yeah the very horny man r- running the ice cream shop yes yeah yeah, I mean, it's funny how there's like a bit of vitality injected into both films when they get like some new digs or at least some new gear. I love yes. when the couple in Children of Nature, like they get their new sneakers. That's a really nice touch. I, yeah, <laughs> really nice. I love the shot of them like walking out front and I like lean over to Molly and just crack the joke like, what if we kissed with our new sneakers in front of the Hotel Borg? <laughs> 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 As if they look like strolling off so pleasant. And then, yeah, like as we mentioned, you said, Andy, there's like the science fiction bizarre sequence where after Kirk Douglas is invited to go to this like nightclub with the woman who's running the exercise joint that he he attends because uh, she wants to fuck him because he's just like a buff, vigorous yeah, old man. Kirk Douglas, yeah. Well, yeah. I think I, I think also like the, the 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 woman in movies I've I've finally met who has clearly like the biggest and deepest daddy issues in in the history of cinema. <laughs> uh, to to just see sure. him, his fucking Jack Lalane looking like fucking butterball turkey that's been overcooked, and just be like, <laughs> I want that inside me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. Constantly. Yeah, constantly, constantly wants to fuck this this sixty nine year old man or something but yeah you get you get the of course you know he he says to the tv man i want to look hot and that's why i was told and he says the location and we've got like the the sequence of him trying on all the different digs and yeah i mean that's you know that's amusing it's funny seeing it's a kind of a one note joke i mean really the whole film it's just like one joke the whole time yeah it's like all the hollywood actors in the 80s yeah in the 80s is like a sci-fi dystopia yeah that's i mean that's the movie <laughs> yeah I mean, there's no yeah. doubt about it yeah you just keep putting them in new different situations i mean i have a i have like a short 
list. It's incomplete, but here's some things that happen to them. Uh, your favorite bar is now a gay bar. The gym is now for women. Cyril's is now a comedy club. All your favorite bars are gone. You're learning about slam dancing. Banks have surveillance cameras now. You're learning about the difference between gelato and yogurt. You're drinking a kamikaze. You're slam dancing to the red hot chili peppers. You're learning about light beer. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, yep. I mean, that's it. You know, and honestly, like, to me, like, the movie, I, I'll be honest, like, the, the, the best parts of the movie for me are always when, like, Eli Wallach just, like, bursts into the scene yeah. and, and blasts his double barrel shotgun as Leon B. Little. Pardon me, gentlemen. Are you Harry Doyle and Archie Long? You got a fan club, Harry. That's us, friend. Who might you be? I might be the guy who's been waiting 30 years just to blow your heads off. I did like find something very funny this time around when I was watching it. So, so yeah, as I mentioned before, like Eli Wallach plays a guy who has been waiting for 30 years to, to close out his contract of, of whacking, you know, Harry and Archie. And, uh, they, they're constantly like shaking him, but there's like a moment where he's leading them into an alley where he's going to blast them. You know, he's going to, he's going to, he's finally got them. And they, of course, because, as I've described, Eli Wallach is wearing these like hilarious Coke bottle glasses because he's basically blind. They just sort of like lead him to an open manhole cover and he falls into a sewer. The movie then goes on to have all this stuff that Marsh just mentioned like kind of happen. Seemingly, in my mind, like days have gone yeah. by. Days. I, no I noted this as well. Like he's in the sewer for like 48 to 72 hours. Right. We get like 15 <laughs> minutes of the movie and then we cut back to like the sewer, like, you know, some like e exit of the sewer. And, and he's like, wand Eli Wallach's wandering out. And he's like, I'm going to find these fucking guys finally, you know? And I'm like, the guy's been down there for four days or whatever. Like, how did he survive? I obviously don't think that they really kind of thought about that. Right. Something clearly happened in, <laughs> in the edit conceptually, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah. And well, as the guard says at the beginning, sort of planting the structure of the film, uh, he says, I bet you'll be back in, in a week. And uh, this film takes place over seven days. Yeah. I'll just point that out. Yeah, it is kind of hard to figure out exactly how much time has passed. But but yeah, it, it can't be that long. But still, Eli Wallach, uh, I got to imagine he would have he would have died down yes. in that sewer. There's no fucking uh, way. You know, you get to be a certain age, you start eating like birds. You know, he, he maybe he had some snacks and he just he took a rest. Yeah, he roughage. got by. I suppose, I suppose, but but his character just—I just—I mean, I I love Eli Wallach, but but I think like he had some of the funniest lines, and they're mostly just because he's just completely like psychotic, uh, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, but but near the ending, uh, there's this attempt to to reclaim their former glory, and Harry and Archie they they uh, they return to the scene of their final crime, and their goal is to to hijack the Gold Coast Flyer, which is taking its final journey. They learn about this in, in the news and they think, you know, hey, what better way to like sort of like put a little exclamation point on our, our legacy by, I guess, hijacking a, 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 an empty train or something like that that's going off to the scrapyard. Anyway, Eli Wallach is on the train with them. The cops show up, and there's this point where they're sort of trying to figure out what to do, you know? Like, well, the cops got us. Maybe we should just, like, 
you know, give up or whatever. And Eli Wallach like yells like, Surrenders for wimps. I vote we die. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> something about Eli Wallach and those hilarious thick ass glasses just being like, let's go suicide by cop right now. Let's do it. Dude. I, if there was ever a guy to go suicide by cop with, for me, it would be like an 85 year old Eli Wallach with sure. a double barrel 12 gauge. Now, you know, something that we should mention about making films about old people that I guess is not often considered is what happens uh, to the guy who was playing Leon B. Little in this film. The original actor died. Yes. And was replaced by Eli Wallach and reshot. So oh, wow. that's a that's a serious thing that can happen when you're you know, one minute you're like, Oh, we're just getting the the old guys together to make a movie and then, you know, things can happen. Oh yeah. I mean I, I saw an interview with Dana Carvey where he was talking about how they were uh running into issues with the insurance company while they were making the movie because... Yeah, too many olds. Well, and Kirk kept wanting to do his own stunts. And specifically, again, this like climactic thing with the train, uh, you know, there's, of course, like, you know, bits where they're running across the top yeah. of the train cars. And Kirk, again, this sort of like very, you know, kind of narcissistic old fucker that he was, was like, I'm doing it, you know? And Dana Carvey was like, the insurance company, the, the bonding company wanted to like shut the production down because they were like, no, he's not. He's going to die up there. This fucking old guy, he's going to die on top of this train or have a heart attack or something. But yeah, I mean, those were, were I'm sure a lot of issues that they were running into throughout the entire film of, of boy, are these guys just right. going to, can we push them this hard? Really? There's a really funny moment again. Cause like the, the difference obviously in like age and body, you know, <laughs> physique and all that stuff between, Bert and Kirk, but there's a really like kind of funny moment where uh, they're in a bar. I don't know if either of you guys picked up on this, but uh, Charles Durning, who plays the the cop, who's also like basically being put out to pasture, but but sees in these two guys an attempt to show that he also still has it as a cop. You know, he's just he wants to get back out there on the streets and chase down his his nemeses or whatever, uh, they, they have a little fist fight in this bar and Burt Lancaster like passes out, like he's drunk as shit. And, uh, Kirk Douglas's character like picks him up and throws him over his shoulder. And I don't, I don't know if either of you guys noticed this, but he picks up what is clearly a stunt double and throws him over his shoulder. And it looks like a 32 year old man that Kirk Douglas is just carrying yeah. out of the bar. So it's like, you got Kirk, who's like, nah, 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 I'm going to run across these trains. And you got Bert that's like, look, you can't throw me over your yeah. shoulder like Give that. Give me the intern. <laughs> yeah, dude, let's get the double <laughs> in here. My hips can't handle that. Well, I guess thinking about the magic of Eli Wallach surviving for all those days, <laughs> trapped, seemingly, there is a little bit of that magic in in Children of Nature in that moment um, that I found rather mysterious, but I enjoyed quite a bit where they do steal a car from a couple that's basically fucking in the middle of the road. And I do love later when there's a radio it's not report. Their car. Huh? It's not their car. They're just fucking on it. It's the guy oh. in the apartment whose car Oh, is. sure, sure, sure. Because he cased that car. Like, he knew that he was going to... That's right. That's and right. And they were just on the car. They had to, you know, get yeah. rid of them. Not that yeah. it really matters. But. 
No, no, no. <laughs> but I do like later when they when they uh, when they're holding out for a little bit, and the radio starts reporting that the the old people are missing, and that also the car has been stolen. Like this is like making the news around the country because there's probably not a lot of crime and things that are going on. I like that they're like, well, we're pretty sure they're connected. And, and Molly made a joke. She's like, oh, but they didn't, you know, they mentioned that it might be an old couple that stole the car and what the car looks like, but they didn't mention their new shoes. Like they'll never identify them without <laughs> calling out those new shoes. But they do take that car and they blow through a police barricade essentially because they're starting to check old people in certain types of Jeeps. Yeah. I mean, it's Iceland. There's, you know. Yeah. There's like basically the one big road that goes around the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they blast through that and then they just, they disappear. They like evaporate yeah, from the film. Yeah, just like the minute a high, speed, a high speed chase is starting, they just like vanish. Because for a second I was like, ooh, you know, buckling yeah. my seatbelt, you know, a little <laughs> bit. Like, are we really going to do this? And it's like, no, we're not going to do yeah. this because this film is like misty and elusive and sort of, yeah, we're we're on this like death trip basically with them. And yeah, it doesn't fucking matter anymore. I mean, at a certain point they're on a boat and they see this woman, this like naked woman on the rocks. And he's just like, the the this boat guy is just like, yeah, she's a ghost. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, what does that mean? You know, but that's, I think that's the charm of, yeah, like the last third or the last half when they, when they do set off on their, their Bonnie and Clyde adventure. It's just, yeah, this quaint landscape pastoral where they're, yeah, returning to the country. We get to see Iceland in all its glory as it should be. Yeah. And it becomes a sort of like mythic journey yeah a, a, a mythic quest in a way that is yes much more like spiritual and 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 uh you know ethereal uh and and again just like adds to the beauty of the film whereas yeah tough guys is dealing with a very different kind of mythologizing yeah. <laughs> you know? i was yeah. thinking that was supposed to be pretty literally at least my read on it it, it being myth when they are with the boatman, the ferryman who's essentially sure. taking them down the river sticks, like it's Karen, mm -hmm. you know, and he's like, yep, that's the ghost. Don't pay any attention to that. That was the sense I was getting. Yeah. I mean, as we've said, right, like Tough Guys is a very like one note kind of experience and it's it's carried along by some some excellent musicians who are who are able to take that one note and and like sort of. Uh, almost trick us into thinking that it's it's more than one note, you know, using what's left in their in their tanks to to yeah. to to sort of masquerade the fact that this is yeah just a very lackluster um script, lackluster screenplay. Whereas yeah, I mean like um, Children of Nature, it, it, it just it really struck me with how how many notes there were in this film, you know, from yeah. the first 10 minutes to the final 10 minutes, I felt the film kept uh, changing, evolving in, in a same way, kind of like materializing and dematerializing as the couple would. And every time it was something, something new. I mean, like we suddenly drift into like this kind of like almost Aki Karasmaki, like deadpan Scandinavian, like black comedy at times. And then suddenly it's like a police procedural. And then suddenly it is this, this, you know, very thoughtful, like almost like a 
sort of like romance in winter. And then yes, it's it's suddenly grand, mythic. It's 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 taking us to the ends of of the world itself. I mean, it was constantly sort of unfolding in very interesting and unique ways for me. I mean, it really was a a, yeah. a very like rich experience. And coming up with new forms of engaging with memory and aging at different points because it I feel like it has some really interesting late in the film ideas that in a film that bothered to sort of do these things would make prevalent throughout the entire film. For example, him looking into the fire and then there's visions of youth. We have footage that takes us into the past, into his memory. Same with the woman when she's looking out at the farm and we have what looks to me like documentary footage of Iceland from a few decades ago. And that is never overdone. It happens a couple times and it happens so late in the movie. It seems like the sort of thing where if the film was allowing that type of formal playfulness that they would have been hammering that home throughout. It would have become a motif. And I admired this film for not really ever having motifs, just evolving as it went on. And sometimes things like that would get introduced that would make you rethink about their situation or at least just make that emotion impact much much more significantly thinking about, yeah, like, okay, here we are. Like they have their wish, they're free now that they're out here. And it's like, and here come the memories. It's all flooding back now that they, these things aren't held in prison anymore. It's feeling more present near the end of the film. I was very touched by all of that. I was thinking too, how much that sequence you described with the old woman sort of walking around her, her childhood mm -hmm. farm. And then yes, the, the mix of the documentary footage showing us even, I think like at, at a certain point, like, children like playing in the in the in the grass there's yeah. like women that are working on the uh, you know i think it's a bunch of like sheep's wool beginning what will probably yeah. some very cozy grandfather sweaters. with his scythe yeah there's there's like fishermen getting ready to go off on a journey and the whole time i was watching that i just kept thinking how much that sequence would have been improved if you'd put Kenny Rogers, they don't make them like they used to <laughs> over that whole yeah. sequence, you know? And then, then if you had them twirl a little more like Malik. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, because again, you know, talking about these similarities between the movies, it's kind of a like the opening of, uh, of Tough Guys, you know? It's this moment to, to remind us of, you know, the, the days gone by, the, the simpler times that we all used to know and, and love. They don't make them like they used to, those guys. And I can't get used to the way that it is today. No one to look up to, hard times. And though I try, I just can't find a reason. Well, you know, uh, when I was in Iceland at the wedding, I was there with uh, the then second oldest person in Iceland, uh, who is now the oldest person in Iceland, which is Owen's, you know, grandmother and in-law. 
who was born, you know, in the countryside of Iceland, I believe in the 20s, you know, wooden shoes made by her mother, you know, in like a fucking hut, basically. And she's like 103 or four now. Uh, So that was cool as hell because she was like tearing it up on the dance floor. Oh, hell. uh, When we were at this wedding, and I've never seen anything like it. So. there's an aging story for you. Sure. You know, sure. eat a lot of fish, and she does, she did dances once a week. It was like ballroom, you know? Uh, so, Hell yeah. I, that's that Iceland countryside power that we see here. And to your point, Ryan, I think like the form adopts to the spaces. And I think that, like, to me, is, is why this film is so rich because every new sort of space that Thorgir moves through, we then get like a different approach to it. Because I think it's key that we don't get any of those flashbacks until they get to the island that they're from, that they grew up on. And then it comes like flooding back, right? Just as we have a different vibe even on the way there, uh, which I was going to mention, like, again, I don't even know what's what's real and what's not in this movie at a certain point. They disappear into the mist, and then they're at a fucking, like, music festival next to a yeah. waterfall <laughs> in this, like, utopian, Icelandic communal moment. And you're like, God, this is amazing. And they're just there hanging out. Like, they come, they hear, like, you know, a choir in a church lit up in the darkness. It's like, yeah, this whole this journey. And then they get to the island, and then and yeah, we have the, the Terrence Malick tree of life. Yeah. Movie, you know, <laughs> like true. we're just, everything is flooding back. Like all that, that was being repressed in the retirement home can now be, you know, unleashed. Right? Yeah. And yeah, you don't have anything like that. And tough guys. I, it's I, no. it's funny that <laughs> they, they just decided to go like knock off an armored car. And I right. mean, it is it is just such a denial of death. It is so funny to yeah. think about it like that. From the, like, oh, it's so Hollywood. It just refuses to face the consequences because even that's also just like kind of like the annoying tone of the movie. In that, like. Yeah, the, okay, these guys aren't going to, like, make off with a million dollars, but, like, nothing bad is ever going to happen to these guys in this movie. It's just not on the table. And you go, like, but what if it was, you know? Just a little bit. I'm not saying, like, kill these guys, but, like, you can do a lot more with yeah. the setup. Yeah, you, know? you get, like, a, you get a, you, you get some shades of that from Bert and, and really from, like, Bert himself and his performance, like when he's at the retirement home, because like that brief moment in the film, like he's, he's, he's like harking back to like Atlantic city. Like it's sad. It's serious. Like you could see Bert like doing the work as Dave Kerr would say, you know, he's putting in the work here and he's bringing those sort of pathos that, that, you know, is clearly like in a much more like mature film, but yeah, from, from there on out, they just then snap into, all right, let's get back to, to the old kind of shit. They try to get the gang back together. And of course, you know, everybody's way too over the hill to go robbing banks and stuff like that. But, but yeah, I mean like the closing of the film is, is a sort of attempt at a kind of like Butch Cassidy Sundance kid, 
like you know ending with with maybe some ambiguity but but really again like in spite of the fact that they just committed a crime they hijacked the train they smashed through a border crossing and 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 drove this thing into like i mean like let's be honest like 20 feet into mexico like that's it you know we end on like a freeze frame of again kirk douglas kicking a Mexican police officer in the balls and, and that's it. You know, there, there, there's, there's nothing else to it. I mean, it's, it's not meant to be a moment of finality. It's, it's meant to also, I think, you know, again, in that grand Hollywood way, it's like, we'll never entirely close it off because you never know. I mean, I'm sure if this thing was a hit, if it had been a huge smash success. Guaranteed. We, we would have seen, yeah, tough guys. Two guys. Tough guys. <laughs> yeah, tougher guys or something like that in Mexico. Too I mean, who knows? But, but yeah, I mean, even Hillary, though, like my girlfriend was like watching it with me. And again, it's just this like Hollywood just puffery. Um they they smash this train through like a, a fence and and the, the the train is literally just on the other side of the fence in Mexico and there's all these cops around. I mean there's like a hundred cops sitting there and it's like again that that Hollywood thing of the border where it's like the cops all just stop at the fence and are like, well we can't we can't cross that line. It's like Mexico's made of lava or something like that. And Hillary's like, well wouldn't they just like just walk over there and just grab them, you know? And I'm like, yeah, of course they would, you know? But no, right? Because, yeah, this is a refusal of of reality in every way, shape, and form. I feel like they also violate parole like 5,000 times. And I don't look. I don't want to come down on these guys. I want to give them as many second chances as possible. But Kirk assaults a child. And, you know it's not really like there's no repercussions no uh which they had a really forgiving parole officer sure but that's not who decides who presses charges in a situation Uh, when you assault a child but like it was the 80s smacking kids was way more acceptable so maybe they just let it slide but like i mean these guys look We've all seen straight time, right? Like, yeah, that you get busted back for for not even doing anything. Yeah, you know, and these guys are like, yeah, especially <laughs> especially because like the whole opening setup too is that they're not supposed to hang around each other anymore. They're told That's all like, they do. Yeah, they're told specifically like you guys cannot see each other for three years, and we get this like really touching goodbye on the on the steps of like the the police station or something where it's like, well, goodbye, old chum. And then five minutes later, they both wander back to Mickey's bar. And it's like, oh, what are you doing here? I figured you'd be here. Yeah, they hang out for the entire movie, even though they've been specifically told that that will get them back in prison. Yes, he smashes a kid in the face with some yogurt. I mean, he roughs up a whole bunch of patrons in his second job at that weird restaurant, threatening a guy with a steak knife. Yeah, yeah, they would have been in jail. He's got a dozen lawsuits pending. I mean, even with the cops at the ending when they're on the train, like at a certain point, Kirk Douglas is like, I'm just going to scare the cops a little bit and just sprays an Uzi at everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking like, you can't be that much of a sharpshooter where... That entire magazine you just emptied into 50 cops wasn't going to hit anybody. When you're in court later, you'll claim, I was just shooting the car for fun (laughs) when I unloaded that Uzi. Yeah, it's what what tough guys do, but you know I wasn't actually trying. I mean, oh God, Jesus Christ, you know? I think one of the biggest missed opportunities was trying to do something with, like, memory or filmic memory, even within the context of something like this, whether that be recreating like having some flashbacks where they play themselves 
as older men, but pretending that they were young, that could have been really funny and not felt that out of place in the movie. Or even just coming up with some creative way of repurposing some old footage. I could see that as being a little sentimental nostalgia trap that the film would have easily fallen into, but still would have at least been an exercise in memory and the idea of them as icons, and they just don't even bother at all. Again, you said there are some Easter eggs, which, of course, but I it, I think it would have been fun for them to at least have a little bit of an adventure in territory like that, because Children of Nature is more open to that sort of thing uh, throughout, while this film is pretty pretty regimented. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that, yeah, there, look, there's there's so much to this movie that, you know... Like the the pieces are there for this to have been something like way, I think way grander and way more, again, like to use the the word we were using before, like a more dignified way for them to go out. And I'm I'm not saying this is just like some, some, I mean, look, there's plenty of other actors who've been like way over the hill and done movies where it's like, oh, you just ruined your legacy by like, you know, doing something like this, you know, I mean, you look at a lot of the the shit De Niro has done for the last two decades to pay for all of his like failing restaurant ventures or whatever, but like islands, he owns. yeah, yeah. You know, but it's like, look, I mean, this could have been way worse than that, but, but still it's like, ah, you just, is the kind of movie you watch and you just go like, man, this could have been, so much more interesting and amazing, probably if it had a real director behind it, probably if it actually had a script that went beyond the premise or the tagline, or let's be honest, even just the fucking title of the movie itself. Like it's again, a very like Hollywood product in the sense that it's, it's this kind of like entitlement of the, 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 the glory of, of the, the studio system to sort of be like, look, all this stuff, remember it? Like that should get enough people in the door to justify us making this thing. But like, man, you know, you got to put a little bit more into it if you really want this thing to be like a, a, a classic or something that people actually would talk about. I mean, honestly, that Kerr thing that you read was like, crazy because I think he was putting even like more thought into this movie than it, sure. it, it certainly like deserves. It's because he admired the two guys, you know? I think that's probably why he even bothered. He's like, oh, they're doing some interesting things in this. Yeah, and, and me too. I mean, and that's why like I ultimately like brought it to the to the, to the the table for us because it's like uh, it is, I think, for people who, again, like if, if, you, if you loved these guys at any point in their career, it is like, hey, like it's not a bad film to check out and terms of being like oh this is the last thing they ever did together and it could have been uh, so much worse than it actually is yeah well i guess i'll say then in terms of like old people's cinema and my phobia especially having to do with like the failure of the body and then like i said i'm thinking of more where they're having to like wipe each other's butts i'm very glad that that's not the direction children of nature went in um i i enjoyed that it was a good clean tenderness throughout the rest, uh, and that they went peacefully. Um, though I am bummed that there was not like Burt Lancaster wiping Kirk Douglas's ass or, or anything we like that. We do see Kirk Douglas's ass though, which yes. is not bad. Yes, you do yeah. get to, yeah, you, but I like the idea of guys like that, like fouling themselves, you know, 
And we, we don't yeah. get anything like that in the film. Uh, and you're calling De Niro undignified. He's the king, right? He's the dirty grandpa, right? He's he probably is. shit. I haven't seen those movies. I just assume he's shit in his pants. He's you know? the dirtiest <laughs> grandpa. That's true. Yeah. No, these guys are, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to go out clean. That's, 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 I think, the, the goal here. <laughs> well, uh, Ryan, when you think about movies with, older people or about old age or mm -hmm. aging uh what comes to mind what do you want to throw out well it's hard not to think of some of the old auteurs and i did rather recently within the past like six months or so watch manuel de Oliveira's i'm going home which ha uh, the story of it's crazy because he was 93 when he made it and it's like uh so he still had like you know another the 12 years of making <laughs> movies after that. But it's about a man uh, in his like late 80s, thereabouts. I think it's Michel Piccoli and his character. Like he learns, he's like an actor, and he learns that his wife, daughter, son in law all die in a car accident. And then he's left having to take care of his nine year old grandson alone. Uh, I mean, and with like the house help and everything, but it, it, it's like having those generations lost uh, in between the grandson and the the grandfather makes for like an extremely moving meditation on aging. It's a, an exquisite film. It's it's really beautiful and it's very touching. Um, similarly, one of the most exquisite and beautiful films about aging I think that uh, has ever been made would have to be Don Coscarelli's Bubba Hotep where Bruce Campbell plays uh, an aging Elvis Presley who is uh, in a retirement home. The idea being that he, he, his body was, I think, man, it's been, I've seen it so many times. He was exhausted. It was like, right, exactly. he was exhausted was, on tour. <laughs> so they had a double step in for him so he could rest and recuperate. And then the double died exactly. and then no one would believe that he yep. was the real Elvis. Yep. Yeah. And then similarly, there's Ossie Davis in in the retirement home uh, who thinks yeah. he's John F. Kennedy. And then there's mummies that show up, and Elvis and John F. Kennedy, who's wheelchair bound, have to fend off the mummies who are sucking the souls of the elderly out of their buttholes. Yeah, uh, some kind of Bubba Hotep. Yeah, I, <laughs> I love, love that movie. That movie. Yeah. <laughs> Saw it when it came out. Yeah, classic. Classic. Don Coscarelli, one of my favorites. And he just hasn't made anything for a long time. Give that guy some money. The issue, though, is that that one is a little bit cheating, as you mentioned earlier in your your opening sort of premise, because Bruce Campbell was not right. nearly as old as as the character he was playing. No, but does a great job. He does. He does. And I mean, Ozzy Davis was. I mean, I don't know how old he was in whatever ninety two or whenever that movie came out. But he's, he's not, getting up there. He's he's older than Bruce is at least. In it. Oh yeah. But yeah, I guess uh, before we check ourselves into the retirement home, we could probably fit in another episode. Marsh, what is the topic next week? Well, we'll be retiring 2023. This will be our last episode for the year. Uh, so I was thinking about that, and I was also thinking uh, about what we were talking uh, talking about last week off off the pod uh, about how, you know, the three of us, uh, in case you couldn't tell folks, uh, we're not like the best at necessarily keeping up with the current cinema, you know, we're, 
we're always lost in the past uh, more than we are keeping up with uh, what's coming down the pipe, you know? And so I thought it may be fun, maybe, uh, <laughs> to tap into that energy and make us watch some films that we haven't made time for, some new movies. So the topic next week is the new movie review, the year-end roulette. Bring me your films from 2023. I'll give you 2022. Hell, I'll maybe even give you 2021. Bring me something you wanted to see, you missed it, something you just heard about and want to see, whatever. Bring me a film made recently, and we'll close out the year talking about the current cinema. Yeah, funny enough, the last time we did current cinema was specifically with an elderly angle to it. That's right. Because we were looking at the contemporary... Uh, 80-year-old filmmakers. <laughs> Keeping movies. up with the times as always on the yeah. gauntlet. <laughs> as always, good. you can follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and you can direct all your emails, comments, questions, suggestions, so on and so forth to gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. Gentlemen, can you tell us why you're robbing this train? He doesn't carry anything of any value. You're wrong, son. Our memories. Yeah. That's why we're taking the whole damn thing. Nobody's taking nothing. Nowhere. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yep. Lose the iron, shitheads. Lose it. Oh, you're going to get a reward, my good man. Accept the lip. Don't threat. Who the hell are you, anyway? I'm Peter Pan. I come to take you to Never Neverland, okay? But you won't be coming back. Mind telling us why you want to kill us? I'm Leon B. Little. So? Leon B. Little. Don't the name mean nothing to you? No. Do you at least know Vinnie Mendelman? Yeah. Vinny gave me 25 big ones to snuff you guys. Vinny's been dead since 1956. Yeah. And we've been in prison since 1956. So I've been waiting since 1956 for you two guys to get out, okay? 30 years. When Leon B. Little takes a job, he sees it through. That's my reputation. I'm very proud.